Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For TWIP listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out the service. And one audiobook you might consider is one I'm listening to right now. It's called All Marketers Are Liars by Seth Godin. If you'd like a free audiobook of your choice, just go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. That's audiblepodcast.com slash twip. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For 10% off your Squarespace account for three months, go to squarespace.com slash twip and use the offer code twip7. Monkeys taking self-portraits, AP gets tough on photo manipulation, and Steve Simon discovers Facebook. It's Saturday, July 16th, 2011, and this is Twitter. Welcome back to TWIP, your weekly dosage of photographic inspiration. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. The boys are back in town. Joining me today on the show are Mr. Alex Lindsay, Ron Brinkman, and Steve Simon, the old crew. The originals. This, this, well, not, well, we're missing Scott Bourne, but this is, the, right. uh, this is the crew. Yeah. What's going on? Hey, guys. Hey, hey. How's it going, everybody? It's going good. Oh, that voice was Steve Simon. Steve... Steve, you're like a you're like a submarine man. Every now and then, you're like you stay underwater forever, and then periscope up. There's Steve Simon. <laughs> it's relaxed, Steve Simon, because I'm uh, I'm I'm twipping from Vermont. I'm kind of on vacation with my wife and a couple of other couples, and uh, you know, do I seem a lot more calmer? I'm you don't hear sirens in the background. It uh, I don't hear the hustle and bustle of New York City in the background. Well, no. It's really cool because they've got like speakers with bird noises out here it's pretty pretty nice speakers with bird noise they got fake birds <laughs> going on those actually be real birds steve well that i suppose that's possible but I, I they sound like speakers to me so i don't know i mean it steve, sounds you know, I too real to, i went to canada while you came to the states <laughs> just so you know what's that you're in canada I, I visited your lovely country up there oh Uh-oh. what were you well, doing up there ron uh i went to banff which oh, nice. is, uh, gorgeous uh just just for the heck of it just to hang out yeah just was up there for about a week hiking around and you know taking a couple pictures and it is heaven on earth i I bet you got some great shots i hope so i haven't actually bothered to uh look at them yet but (laughs) (laughs) so you're that guy right yeah sometimes i am (laughs) hey alex Lindsay is also being quiet sulking in the background being a wallflower Mr. Yeah, Lindsay. you know that's what that's where I like to do it. Man. I'm, I'm usually not a very talkative guy. You didn't dance. You didn't dance at your high school prom, did you? Uh oh no, I was the DJ for the high school prom. Oh, nice! Oh. Check it out. He was a cool kid. Yeah, Alex I, is always I, I, that I, guy. I was good at faking it. <laughs> that's that's the whole definition, right? Yeah, exactly. No one's really cool. They just fake it better than other people. All right, guys. I, I, I stood around the cool kids. Nice osmosis. All right, let's jump into it. The news for this week. This first one is, you may have seen this, guys, but this is uh, apparently, this comes to us, who did this come to us by? 
I don't see where it's it not is. Gizmodo. Gizmodo. Yeah, Based Gizmodo. Around, yeah. yeah, it's been around, but Gizmodo reported on this. And the way Gizmodo wrote the story, it seemed like they were... I don't know if they were just playing into the hoax or if it's not a hoax. I, w- I wanted to get you guys' opinion. Basically, there apparently someone dropped a camera or something, and some monkeys in Indonesia got the camera and took self-portraits with it. So... In the show notes here, where we wanted to position this as who owns those photos? Is the copyright owned by the monkeys or the person who owns the camera? But I think this is a gigantic fat hoax. I mean, and, I, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm linking over to Jill Greenberg's work, who the picture that you'll we'll link to this in the show notes. The picture of the monkey looks suspiciously similar to the photo on the cover of Monkey Portraits. Uh, but, uh, but it yeah, is but not a exact. picture. Right? Not exactly, but... It's the same monkey, but it's... A, I mean, it's the same uh, type of monkey, monkey. But, but it's not... I don't... But I don't, look at it. I mean, it's the Look at the symmetry of the shot. I mean, it's like, who... How could you get, how, how could you get you, a monkey get a shot that perfectly? Or, no, okay, well, I, it may very well be a hoax. And, and I'll, I'll actually note that the new Planet of the Apes movie is coming out mm-hmm. at some point here. Mm-hmm. And I believe there has actually been at least one other sort of viral video out there that was traced back to being a Planet of the Apes marketing one. There's some, some video out there of uh, uh, somebody giving a gun to a monkey, uh, you know, and the you, monkey did you notice? Shoot. Do you notice the ad for Corning Gorilla Glass on the same page? That's, there you go. Mm-hmm. On my page. So, I mean, that seems suspicious to me. And those those shots of the monkeys, I mean, they're good. They're they're good photos. Those are good self I want to hire those monkeys. <laughs> now, maybe that's a testament yeah, that's a, to, uh, to you know, high-quality autofocus. And, uh, I can't know, afford all, those monkeys. I, well, I, I, all I'm saying is that a lot of, a lot of photographers have felt very uh, you know, under pressure, that, and, and, they, and they complain that you know, it's getting to a point where even a monkey could take my job. <laughs> that's what I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. But uh, but you know, point being, and, and we're not the ones that made up this question of who owns the copyright to it. This was actually part of the Gizmodo article, I believe. And, well, and this I is also that, it's also in the Telegraph. Um, you know, yeah, and and the story goes that the uh, the photos were published by whoever actually owned the camera, and then some other news agency picked them up and published them without permission claiming that it was fair use because the monkey owned it and he wasn't going to complain or something. Uh, and so, I mean, so that's all part of the story. It's not just something that we're tossing I mean, out here. You know, when we say if it's a hoax, it's a really good hoax. It's on Fox News, Telegraph, Huffington Post. Um, you know, it's it definitely ha- and, and no one's pulled it up as a hoax yet. Yeah, um, oh. I'm saying it's a hoax. <laughs> you heard well, it here first. Not- I'm saying it's a hoax. But the question what? is, who does own the copyright? In North America, of course, when you click the shutter, technically you own the copyright regardless of whose camera it is. That's my understanding. So it's the monkey. So someone needs to own the monkey in order to own that copyright. You know, right? you know that's a, a human that takes a picture. I don't know if it covers monkeys. And maybe the people that own the monkeys, if you can own a monkey, uh, you know, own the copyright. Who knows? But it's you know, that's, that's an interesting point. Who, who knows? I mean, right now, obviously, monkeys don't have personhood. No, but if the monkeys registered the copyright, then they get sued for big money because the only way to get the money is to actually register the copyright. And these monkeys look pretty smart from these photos. And my, my question is, 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 is this, would this be paid in dollars or bananas? <laughs> I was waiting on somebody to throw that in there. Oh, man. Depends on if these monkeys were injected with some sort of serum that made them smarter. You know, you know? <laughs> with, with the amount of times they've been used, I think these monkeys deserve bananas for life. Yeah, but you know, Chiquita. looking at the photos, they do bring a smile to your face. They're great pictures. I mean, whoever took them. But do uh, do the photos like the photo that one main portrait one? Doesn't that look like it's been photoshopped? Come on. 
Uh, well, it doesn't. We don't know whether it was adjusted or not, or or you know rotated. I mean, no, I mean the eyes could've... look bigger, the teeth look more no, that's pronounced. The way those look. That's where there's macaque. Wide look. angle. Yeah, you're making fun of the monkey. That's his face. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, can't, he doesn't know. He's not listening to the show. So, <laughs> not only are we taking away his copyright, we're making fun of him now. And they're know. smart enough. They're probably listening. To, they're twip listeners. I bet. That's you know? one ugly monkey. I'm just saying. That's an ugly monkey, right? <laughs> All right. So there's two pieces of this. A the copyright piece. I'm still not satisfied. If this is real and it's not a hoax, so no one owns the copyright to these photos, right? So if, think, if a monkey takes I, a picture... I think the guy whose camera it is yeah. uh, probably owns it. I mean, if, if someone picked up images that he posted, they're his images from his camera, uh, unless the monkeys intervene or the zoo where the monkeys live want a piece of the action, I think the guy you know, has the, the copyright. But the thing is, if you don't register your copyright... You know, you're not going to really get any financial uh, numeration from it because no lawyer is going to take the case. Wait a minute. Uh, Skype, for some reason, didn't like what Ron Brinkman was saying, so it kicked him off. I'm going to bring him back in. Oh, okay. (laughs) Let's get Ron back on the call here. I'm trying to connect him. Anyway, so then the second piece of that is, so if this is a hoax, it's a pretty good hoax. You remember that? I don't know if you guys saw that, that thing that GoPro put out with the seagull that stole the camera and like shot aerial photography with with a GoPro camera like a seagull picked it up or some kind of bird picked up a GoPro and then flew and put it on top of a building and did some self video of it <laughs> and it's on the GoPro site and that was a I think that I'm pretty sure that was a produced viral video and then I was in Vegas a couple of weeks ago and you know, sitting there with my dad watching TV, and here it comes on the news. Hey, look at this bird that did some self-portraiture. So he picked it up as a real news item. There's uh, our media. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, hello, have you heard of, like, kind of fact-checking or anything? <laughs> <laughs> I would like to put a GoPro on, like, a dog or something with a MiFi, with an iFi and a MiFi. So it's just, like, sending out pictures of where the uh, where the dog is gone. It's not, it's not, it's not so much, it's not as interesting in the, in the city, but if you're in the country... You know, dogs spend a lot of time away from the house, and you're always kind of curious. Yeah. What do they do when they go out at night? Maybe you should think about doing that for when your kids who, get who older. Who are their Alex? little dog friends? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> who are they been hanging out with? I don't know. I don't know because there's there was a dog like down the street that I didn't really I didn't really think they're, my dog should be. hanging They're going to be rated uh, over eighteen because there's obviously going to be some sniffing scenes. I'm sure. <laughs> oh no! You would have to bring it there, Steve. Sorry, 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 but you know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. Lost Ron. The, well, here he comes again. Let me see if I can get him back now. There he goes. Let's see. It's ringing. Ron Yo. Brinkman. Yeah, I'm back. You got censored. You're back. <laughs> <laughs> it's all that monkey talk. It's all the monkey talk. We're going to move on from the monkey talk and, and move on to some trash talk. So Olympus is talking trash about your camera phone. They've launched a guerrilla marketing campaign in some Australian cities by basically putting signs up that say... Wait, a guerrilla marketing campaign? It, 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 yeah, check it out. It's a guerrilla we marketing. done with the monkeys. No, it's guerrilla, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> monkeys and gorillas are different. Come on. Have you seen Planet of the Apes? <laughs> Come on. Right, right. Uh, but they're saying if the signs say if your camera also sends text messages that will explain why your photos are rubbish, and then they redirect people over to getarealcamera.com, which is you know they've got a big fat pin on the front of that. Now, um, in the last episode of Twip, we had Jack Hollingsworth, aka Photo Jack, on who's hanging his hat on iPhone photography as a viable method for professionals to capture images with. And in the last couple of weeks, we've seen. 
iPhones being used solely as the wedding photographer's camera to capture images. So do you think this is a Olympus just trying to do a, a fear, uncertainty, and doubt campaign about I, about just mobile camera phone photography, not specifically iPhone? Um, oh, sure. Or, you know, is, or, or what? What is it, Ron? I think, I, I think it's, you know, <laughs> it's an excellent way to get uh, podcasts to talk about their product. <laughs> Are you are you trying to say that I was gullible and I fell for the I think so. <laughs> <laughs> fell right into their trap. But I like it. It's good. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's valid. I mean, I, I don't think anybody out there is going to claim that uh, you know a, a dedicated camera or you know a, a mobile camera is going to take the same quality of pictures as a dedicated camera. And you know, so from that perspective, it's it's a valid point to make. I think people that will go to that URL and go to find your you know find Olympus or good marketing alex are you gonna go are you gonna say see that sign or would you see that sign and say you know what olympus is right damn this iphone i'm gonna go get me a real camera would you or or what i guess i I have a real camera no i I, I, (laughs) um the i i think that the issue is definitely olympus is being hit by this probably more because they don't really have a really solid slr market because i I do think that, that we're separating you know the the it's becoming a lot, you know, people are moving towards either having a high-end camera or a specialty camera in their phone. I mean, that's kind of where. I mean, I have a lot of in-between cameras, but any camera that's in between my SLR and my iPhone is generally a specialty camera. So it's something I'm using for time lapse or high speed, or you know, so it's 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 something that does something or 3D. And it's these these are they. I bought them for a specific reason to do a specific thing. But what I don't do very much of, and I think this is the problem that that Olympus is having. Um, is I don't, uh, you know, I don't do something. I don't carry the camera around. In fact, I have an Olympus um, carry around camera. I said that, but I, yeah. I actually have one of their cameras. But I bought it because it's waterproof and shockproof, and I give it to my kids when they're out playing. Yeah. <laughs> so nice. you know, it's so so it's that, you a know, Fisher they, Price camera. <laughs> it's it's not. It costs more than a Fisher Price camera. Um, but it's but it's it's hardened, and you know, you can take it thirty feet underwater, and you know, all that fun stuff. So, um, but the point is, is that it had to be. It had to solve a specific need that I had rather than I'm going to put it in my pocket because, uh, you know, I think that if I'm going to put something in my pocket and carry it around, I, I've generally moved towards, you know, my, my iPhone. And as, as we've seen with Flickr, you know, I, that's what most people have done, right? Yeah. Yeah. Steve Simon, what are you, what are you using to shoot your or document your Vermont vacation? Well, I've got my uh, D3S, and uh, you know, I, I look at this campaign. You're on the slopes with a D3S, <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. I'm waking up early. I'm I'm photographing nature and all that kind of stuff. Stuff I don't normally do, but it's kind of fun. But I think this kind of campaign is a bit of a cry for help because when you look at <laughs> photography these days, I mean, the fact is, look, serious photographers are always going to want tools that they're going to be able to control and get the kind of images that they envision when they're out shooting, but the mass market seems to be kind of going to, as, as these uh, phone cameras get better and better, the need to actually have a separate device is becoming less and less. And, uh, you know, I, I see, I'm sure all the manufacturers see the writing on the wall. So they've got to make it uh, worth, their, worth, worth the customer's while to kind of, um, you know, put down their iPhone and take an extra tool with them. And, uh, you know, in terms of the numbers, I, I'm sure they're running scared a little bit in terms of, you know, if, if the cameras keep getting better, 8, 10, 12 megapixels in, inside a phone, um, and they are, uh, you know, where is that going to leave uh, sort of the point and shoot camera? I mean, there'll always be a market for 
for serious you know cameras but uh the the mass market which i guess you know lifts up a lot of these companies is is really kind of a question mark yeah i, I think that i think that's kind of true that the the point and shoot you know, in that middle niche, maybe in a, in a, a bit of danger. Almost certainly is in a bit of danger. I mean, Olympus is, is you know is also uh, heading down an interesting road with the Micro Four Thirds and their latest camera. There, which is pretty sweet. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I, I will say that uh, <laughs> when I saw a bear, I wasn't going to be shooting that picture with an iPhone because I didn't want to get that close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, I, know, I wonder. Like, I wonder about like you know, I had a conversation with Trey Ratcliffe a couple days ago, and he was talking about how he just got a, one of the red cameras in, and we know about Alex. You're you've shot with these cameras, the ones that shoot in raw, um, a gazillion frames per second. You can pull any one of those frames out, and it's a multi megapixel still image that you can then process, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So on the far right side, Alex, I want to throw this to you. On the far right side, do we? Is is professional photography going that way where it's we're just capturing time linearly with a video ca- type camera and stills are going away like like Steve's D3S is you're going to be antiquated and then on the far left on the far left we're going to go you know everything's going to be these high end camera phones that have multi megapixels 12 megapixels in them and everything in between is just kind of going to go to mush like the point and shoots and the low end DSLRs what do you think Alex well, I, I don't think the low end is DSLRs I think that there is a, a market for DSLR and up uh, the thing you have to remember about the red camera that he's talking about, which is a fantastic camera, uh, is that it is uh, the M version. I think is sixty thousand dollars. <laughs> so, so the uh, uh, the M version. I think the, there's and there's gonna, they're going to have less expensive versions. I think, but the lowest cost red is still going to be in the ten to twelve thousand dollar range, so, or maybe six thousand dollar with a fixed lens or whatever. But that's not the you know the the thing is that's a that's a lot of camera. It's out of reach. Yeah. So so SLRs still have a place. Uh, in the, you know, uh, in that in that that work, I do think that it's very challenging if you don't have, if you're not creating something that really makes your camera special. Uh, like I think Casio's done really well on making high speed cameras, for instance. They're they uh, you know are doing these you know thousand frames a second and and uh, you know frame cameras that are like two hundred fifty dollar cameras that you can shoot a thousand frames a second. Uh, and so these are you know, but but finding those niches, you know, Fuji does the three D. You know the 3D, cam- the best 3D camera, in my opinion, at that size. At that at that size, um, the uh, finding all of those little niches, I think, are going to be the key for that next generation of of uh, manufacturers. And so, I think that that is going to be. Uh, they have to find those niches because I think that just the carry around camera, if it, 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 that is not going to survive. I don't. Yeah. Think. I, I think that that just a just a little camera that I can put in my pocket, uh, you're going to be competing with Android and iPhones, and 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 those cameras are going to continue to get better. They're going to. And the reality is, this gets back into what we've talked about for since this show began. Is that over for the average consumer for what they're doing, and we see this in Flickr. Over eight meg- megapixels is more than they need. Yeah. It's not more than we need, but it's more than they need. And and so the, the issue is is that once those cameras reach eight megapixels and start becoming more, uh, you know, light sensitive, and the processors come a little, you feel it a lot on an iPhone where you t- you, you want to take. I was just taking some photos with it, and you know, it's a little laggy, and obviously the shutter speed is really slow to get enough light in there for that little chip. And so those kind of things could speed up, you know, to to make it a much more uh, interesting camera um, from that perspective. Uh, but I think that that is going to be the challenge that these little cameras have, and uh, I do think there's a lot for SLRs. I mean, interchangeable lenses and even four thirds. Uh, I don't. I still don't quite get why you buy a four thirds instead of a SLR. You yeah. know, to me, you know, like if I can't put it in my pocket, I might as well just have the full. Yeah. 
But I yeah. think, you know, though, there, there, are, there is going to be, uh, you know, the Leica M9s, the new Fuji camera. There's talk they're going to come out with an interchangeable uh, lens version of it. Um, you know, the DSLRs, of course, it's become, it used to be you buy the camera, you have a bunch of interchangeable lenses. Now you kind of invest in the lens and you've got a bunch of interchangeable cameras that you grow with, you know, if you're serious about photography. Um, the fact is, you know, if you've got a big sensor in a small camera, I think that's what a lot of serious photographers are looking for. And I think that's exactly. why the four thirds is, is kind of a, a good idea. I like it. You know, I mean, I, I went You've on, been singing the praises for the four thirds for well, years, right? I have, even though I've never bought one. But <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, the, uh, the, the, the quality is not quite where I want it to be yet. All this, this new Olympus has got a lot of, you know, they, they claim this new Olympus actually focuses faster than uh most dslrs you know it's it's starting to uh it's starting to really hit some some interesting points and having just got back from a vacation where i was doing you know a seven hour hike up the side of a mountain basically having a camera set up that weighs 10 pounds less than what i was carrying would not be a bad thing yeah yeah I don't know. This technology is going in, in wild directions. It's all it all seems good. Like we were saying at the beginning, there's the the red where you know it's out of reach, like Alex was saying for many people. And then at the far left end, there's people that are stretching camera phones to, as far as they can go to see what they can squeeze out of them. And then we've got I think we talked on the show a couple of weeks ago. There's the that technology. I forget the name of the company, Lytra, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. They came out with that after the fact focusing technology that with their cameras it basically captures it's a light field ca- camera instead of capturing one plane it captures the entire light field so then you can go in later and select your depth of field and that kind of thing so and don't forget on the other end uh fred uh, mm-hmm. there's the lamography movement that seems to be gaining strength i know yeah. in new york open two stores and they have stores in major cities all over the place and particularly young people are kind of getting i sound like an old guy but particularly <laughs> the young whippersnappers <laughs> the young people are really getting into the, the film young people thing. the film thing you know what their music and their long hair they're they're really getting into the, the film thing and you know so that's you know a bit of a movement as well but i guess really what we're speaking of is the kind of large scale all the manufacturers moving their ships forward in certain directions and, yeah. and certainly you know they're scared you know with the fact that uh the the phones now have legitimately you know decent good enough as alex says for for much of the market out there yeah i think it's going to get so easy that even a monkey could use it oh thank you thank you for cl- for just closing that off I really- <laughs> wow we pulled it all together that's what i'm here for thank you thank you for closure on that uh alex we are sponsored by a fantastic company you want to tell us a little bit about them uh yeah we're sponsored by of course audible.com now uh, this is uh, this podcast is brought to you by audible and uh, it's the leading provider of audiobooks for over 70 thousand seventy five thousand uh downloadable titles and this is like all all the different kinds of titles that you can imagine so it can be spoken word it can be books it can be magazines um you know all kinds of uh different options there now i i think all of us here listen to audible steve do you listen to audible um i have in the past i haven't lately uh just because i've been doing other things but no it's it's wonderful to be able to kind of uh, multitask to a certain degree anyway yeah, no, I I love the fact that that uh, that they're a sponsor just because that's the only way I read I read any books at, at length. Um, you know, <laughs> it, it, love yeah. Audible. Oh my gosh, you know I'm I'm and and I you know I just feel like I'm getting instantly smarter because I'm uh, actually able to listen to stuff that I would never sit down and, and read. You know, because I'm uh, uh, I'm still going back and rereading. I'm now rereading um, How the West Was Lost by um, Bambiso Moyo. 
uh, who's an economist out of Zambia, and uh, and it's it's like a little master, mini master's degree in econ- macroeconomics and and uh, uh, how all the stuff fits together and, and everything else. Now, I would I would never have sat down and read that book, and and I. Uh, I, I bought her other book. She had another one called Dead Aid about aid in Africa. And I bought the book and yeah, never, never actually read it because it wasn't available on Audible. And I thought, well, I really care about this and I'm going to buy this book. And then I never got around to reading it. But the next book came out and it's it's on Audible. And of course, now I'm on my second reading of it. Yeah. And, um, and but that's the kind of stuff that you, you know, that's what it makes possible because while I'm cleaning the house or while I'm. Uh, you know, uh, you know, walking around or, or traveling or sitting in the airport. It's just the perfect thing to just get that that book that I wanted to read that I knew I should read, uh, but I wasn't going to get around to it. You know, and I think a lot of us have busy, 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 busy schedules. And so if you're trying to find a way to fit books into your back into your life, um, don't bother with the whole paper thing. You know, it's <laughs> so last century. Last. I, I will. I, my, my personal opinion is that Audible is uh, one of the the greatest exercise tools out there. Yeah, I know. For me, I mean, a really long bike ride is really boring. It is. I need it, to do something while I'm biking. Yeah. So Absolutely. being able to read a book at the same time is pretty key. So if you're thinking yeah. about getting into an exercise program, you must also get into Audible. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, you know why? Maybe it's just laziness or I don't know if it's just forward thinking, but I'm, I'm just like you, Alex. I mean, <clears throat> you know, you sit there and you look at a book that's like, I don't know, 400, 500 pages long. Yeah. And you're like, how am I going to dedicate the time to just do one thing? Because I have to, you know, you got to be stationary. You got to focus your brain on it. You got to read it. Your eyes get tired. You put it down. But with an Audible book, like the latest one I'm reading right now, it's called All Marketers Are Liars by Seth Godin. Yeah. Um, which is a great book with an unfortunate title, I think. Because I, I, <laughs> I think what he meant to say is marketers like to tell stories, which is what we do. So... Yeah. In, anyway, uh, so I'm listening. I've, I've read that book, you know, with my ears like two times already, and I get something new out of it each and every time. But if I was to read that, I think my brain would get tired, my eyes would get tired. Well, and I just, I, I, I'm, I, I, yeah. there's a lot of people who do all this research about multitasking and everything else, and and I'm just, I'm the proponent of the other side. Do not waste your time with unitasking. Don't be a unitasker. <laughs> that's nice. all i gotta say is, is you know this allows you to multitask in a, in a constructive way take something that you don't like to you know that you don't like to do a lot with i don't like to clean um and fill it up with something useful on, on two two halves make a whole so it's it's uh so anyway definitely worth checking out like steve uh, steve like you know you could be listening to an audiobook instead of listening to your spouse you know perfect <laughs> oh, careful now well, good thing she doesn't listen to this podcast because uh, I was going to say that you could listen to audio books while on conference calls, but I thought I shouldn't say that on a, on a show because yeah. I, of course, would never do that. Um, so uh, audiblepodcast.com slash twip. That's audiblepodcast.com slash twip. And you can get a free audiobook of your choice. So if you haven't done this, go up to audiblepodcast.com slash twip and uh, download your free book today. Awesome. Thanks, Alex. All right, this next story, which is awesome, it talks about photo manipulation. Basically, the Associated Press, or AP, has kicked a photographer to the curb for photoshopping his shadow out of an image. So, Steve, this is right up your alley, photojournalist. Um, Steve would never do this. Steve, have you, have <laughs> no, you ever photoshopped the, the shadow out of you know, one of your African shots no, or something? Absolutely not. No, I mean... Because, because they all look so good. I'm just saying, you know. They, well, you know. <laughs> no, not, not that. I mean, you know, I get serious when we talk about ethics and all this photojournalism stuff, mainly because 
you know, it's a slippery slope. And, and the fact is, uh, today more than ever, at, well, it goes back to the, the pyramids, move, the National Geographic moving the pyramids. I mean, these are the stories that come out, and they come out consistently, regularly, uh, for the people that get caught. I'm sure there's a lot of this going on that people don't get caught. The fact is, if you're a photojournalist or want to work in the industry, you can't recover from this. Uh, the seduction of being able to make an image as perfect as possible uh, seamlessly, if you're a good uh, post-processor, is, is, I guess, too much for some people, and they, they succumb to it. But in the end, it's your reputation. And if you have... If you do this once, it just puts into doubt everything else that you do. And as a news organization, if you allow this to happen once, it, it hurts your credibility. So that's why the hard line. That's why even though you know nothing really, the content necessarily hasn't changed, it's just you know you got to draw the line in the sand somewhere. And, well, and, know, and isn't it hard if you don't if you don't say this isn't working and, and fire someone? Uh, it's very hard to decide when is it okay to clone because generally. Cloning is the big thing, right? I mean, that's the that's the thing that really. Uh, and and people have actually uh, kind of oversaturated. For instance, uh, there was a guy at the, I believe it was one of the LA papers that uh, did a fire shot where he kind of oversaturated to the point where it didn't maybe look realistic in the eyes of some of the editors, and it came into question. HDR, I know, you know, Trey right. Radcliffe, Mister HDR, has been. Uh, you know, a little bit talking about the question using HDR in journalism images. And so it's, it's you know, we'll see, we'll see where things go because it's a continuum that's always changing. I mean, back in the day, photographers used to set things up in the 50s and so on. Used to hear stories about, you know, photographers with the stuffed animal they'd throw into the scene. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's, it's crazy. But, you know, that's what they did at the time. So I thought it was interesting that uh, as part of this article, it mentions that the AP's Code of Ethics does actually say that, uh, you know, no element should be digitally added or subtracted. Only retouching or the use of the cloning tool to eliminate dust on camera sensors and scratches on scanned negatives or scanned prints are accept- acceptable. Uh, which even that, it feels like it's interesting that they would sort of that the photographer could potentially do sort of dust removal. It almost seems like you want the purity of just saying you send to the agency and then they could decide maybe to remove dust or something. But well, I mean, here's, here's yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, I, I was going to ask you, Steve. I mean, if you had discovered a piece of uh, you know a dust had gotten onto your sensor and there was a big just you know something really obvious like a black blotch in the in a blue sky it would be really easy to remove would you remove it oh certainly you know when and and again that's where the the ethics kind of code is there and i think it's similar for ap similar for the national press photographers and a lot of photojournalists and i know you know you 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 kind of have to draw a line it depends you know how big the thing is but but the fact is if you're removing something like a dust spec, you're not necessarily removing uh, a, a wire from a telephone pole. There was a, a really difficult scenario a few years back where they had this great shot of this young man who was kind of in this uh, uh, scenario where he was kind of a local hero. And as it happened, you know, his fly was down. And that happens, you know, with a lot of, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sure it hasn't happened to you guys. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things that happens in life and it can be very embarrassing. And there was a whole sort of question as to, you know, do we, you know, digitally zip it up or leave it like it is, etc. And the bottom line is they ended up, you know, just not having to use this great shot because they didn't want to embarrass, embarrass the, the kid. And, you know, I understand that. But they also didn't want to... Uh, start down that slippery slope. So mm-hmm. a lot of 
difficult questions. Well, and, and I think that that's the, the hard part is, and, and, and I think that one thing we want to underline is that if you're going to do this, you, you should really, you know, really be really, really good at, at retouching. <laughs> that's, you know, I, I think going, going to retouching training, I think, is important if you're uh, going to go down this path. Of course, Steve is now aghast. <laughs> I, but, have uh, a, I have a guess. No, no, so, no. You know, I'll let you finish, but just make one other point that this was, you know, really we're just talking about kind of journalistic and documentary when you sort of put it out there that this is kind of a, a real capture and you're just adjusting things the way you used to in the darkroom. I know it's kind of become even more outdated today in terms of how they, dis, you know, set the parameters, but that's originally where it where it came from. You know, you can make adjustments the way you would dodge and burn in, in the darkroom. And, and well, even I think those that, things. I, I, and yeah. I definitely can see why people are there. There's such a sensitivity to this because it's already we're, we're getting to a point as a society. I mean, when, when we look at the photos that we just don't trust anything we see uh, because it's just, you know, you feel like anything can be done with that image. And it's very hard to I mean, we don't trust the monkey images because we know how easy it would be to create something that looks like that. You know, take it out of, for instance, take the monkeys out of a Joe Greenberg book and put them into a jungle. And we know that that would be possible. And uh, and and. Uh, we don't know if that actually happened. Uh, it looks like it might not have. But but you can see how, you know, especially with AP, I mean, that they pretty much have to, uh, if, if people stop believing in their images, um, that's their entire business model, right? Yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, that that sense of even saying, if you're going to retouch, you got to get, you got to be really good at it. You know, I think any any photographer who does any sort of retouching, even removing a dust speck, is sort of got to think a few times about it and just say, you know what, I it's maybe safer to just send it over the way it is and call it somebody who does this, you know, there, I, we, um, for a while we had a, a, a guy in house that was, uh, a professional retoucher. And, uh, and so he, he's now, he does a lot of different things, but that was what, what he did for years for the gap and, you know, lots of other folks. And he, uh, when you see him work, you realize that there are years of training and experience yeah. and, yeah. and knowledge to be able to change a photo without noticing that you changed it. And well, but it's there, not something, but, I'm not saying you should have done that here. I'm just saying in general photographers, especially if you're doing not, not, not uh, photojournalistic work, uh, but if you're doing you know, marketing work or you're doing other things that you might want to go ahead and go in there and retouch. And there um, are, and, but I guess to my point of uh, you know, photographers should think twice about doing anything if they're doing news photos. You know, there are tools already, and there are going to be much better tools out there for analyzing photos and you know, automatically calling out the fact that it has been retouched at some point. And you know, if you went up and, and grabbed a little dust speck out of a, a piece of the sky, and then your photo editor or the AP is, sees, okay, the little flag comes up and says, this photo's been retouched. Yeah. You know, there's a chance that they may just reject it out of hand rather than trying to figure out what was done there. So it, it almost seems like there would be there would be a market for a you know a setting in the Canon and Nikon and other cameras that for for professionals that basically did some kind of very very I mean like super subtle I mean there's a lot of ways to imperceivably add uh, a watermark to it that mm-hmm. says basically this photo not in the metadata but like literally if oh, you there's, change there, anything there is there a, is in Photoshop right yeah. now isn't there. Oh, no, there's no, 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 Alex is talking about, there's a device, and I'll, I'll tell you what I think you're getting to, Alex, is there's a device for Canon cameras that actually certifies that this is an unretouched uh, raw negative. Yeah, and it's the same for Nikon. It's image yeah. authentication software that, mm-hmm. coupled when the camera is set, in, in theory, will allow that image to kind of be used in court as unmanipulated. But recently, that was cracked. Yeah, I was going to um, say, all this stuff is just bits, right? Which means yeah. 
It can well, be it depends hacked. on whether it depends on whether you put it into the image or not. I think that's the issue is, is that there are ways to have those, you know, have it inserted into the actual. I mean, there are ways to watermark images where you wouldn't see it um, because it's so imperceptible, but it's there. And it's and then if you change it, it's very difficult to. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of technology in that area. It'd be interesting to see those in, incorporated into into actual photos. Yeah, I mean, back in the day, Steve. When we, when we were shooting film, then it was easy, right? I mean, it was, it, is it in the negative? You can look at the negative, see if the negative was touched. If it was, then it, it invalidates everything. But I, I mean, as we, I mean, we're, if we're having this discussion today in 2011, what discussion are we going to be having in 2020? Right. Well, that's a good question. You know, back the research I did because I used to teach ethics uh, as part of my, the courses that I would teach. They it's let very, you. They let you teach ethics, Steve. I know. So it's shocking. <laughs> shocking. But I tell you, it's always disappointing. The, di- the, the more you dig, like, for instance, Walker Evans, you know, the great Walker Evans that uh, worked during the Farm Security Administration. And he would go into people's homes and he would move things around. So, you know, you look at the image and you think, oh, that's the way it was. But it wasn't always that way. And even the great Eugene Smith, one of the greatest, you know, arguably, you know, Life magazine photojournalist, uh, he got caught, you know, long after his death with his image of uh, Albert Schweitzer, where he actually sandwiched a negative to include a, a saw in the bottom of the frame because that's the way he envisioned Schweitzer. And he was never able to get that shot um, just naturally. So that was the only time when they looked through his archives where he kind of cheated a little bit. Um, and, you know, he was a perfectionist and a great photojournalist and all that stuff. But, you know, it's it's if. It's it's very seducing, you know, the the idea that you can, you know, make something better or or more perfect. But you got to draw the line when it comes to putting it out there as something that's real, and you want the trust of your viewership to believe what they see. Well, and, and we've even seen this uh, with the president, where for a long time, the, because they didn't want to hear the the cameras clicking away, for a long time the president would give a, a, a State of the Union or, or or not a State of the Union, but a press event. They do the whole video piece, and at the very end, they would kind of pose for the the uh, the still press to take lots of photos. Yep. Um, and they, I, I guess, Obama has said he's not going to do that anymore because people start questioning. They're like, "Hey, that that image of him doesn't look like any frame in the video," and people are now able to pay attention to that. But right. for a long time, they did it just mostly because they, what they didn't want to hear is they didn't want to see all the flashing and they didn't want to hear all the clicking going on uh, in the background. Which makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We yeah. talked about that on the show a couple of weeks ago as well. Is but you know, and I think the consensus was, it uh, it's a good thing. You know, I mean, it, it, because I think the 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 impetus of that story was they got caught on it or whatever and decided, okay, we're going to do away with the after the fact posing press. Which had been done for thing. you know like forty years. I mean, it's not like right. <laughs> and it wasn't nefarious or anything. It was just like, okay, we did the real thing. Okay, let's let's let you guys get your shots. And, and you know? we do it when we work in film all the time. And Ron Ron can talk about this too. But you know, you, you take a you'll take a whole scene. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes they'll just kind of set up pieces of the scene and the, and the photographer will come in and take pictures um, again because you want to have the control of it and the photographer needs something slightly different. Uh, and it looks like it's a, an image from the scene, but it's but you don't want to actually have the camera going off. Um, uh, and, and there's cases for the cameras that they use as well. But um, but sometimes the photographer just wants to take those photos out. It's a it's a great learning tool to watch a press conference like o- with Obama, for example, and see when he 
you know, raises his hand to his chin and you hear all the motor drives go off. It sort of tells you kind of what these seasoned news photographers are looking for. They're looking for anything that's a little bit interesting. If he raises his finger, when the volume goes up on the motor drives, or at least the sound of the the cameras, (laughs) you know that that's kind of a moment. So you can maybe teach yourself a little bit. I think I think they just I think they just have to make all those photographers use blimps. Well, yeah, yeah, maybe (laughs) for the the listeners, by the way, it's it's a a camera blimp. Um, is what's used on a on a movie set pretty often, and it looks like it often looks like a pelican case with a camera inside of it, side of it, and a big button it's, on the outside. It's like a, it's like a silencer for a gun. Yeah, what a, a silencer <laughs> for a camera? <laughs> silencer for a camera. I, yeah, I so don't see that. Uh, you know, aiming at the president. <laughs> okay, it doesn't look like a silencer for a gun, but yeah. it But anyway, so but it's it's got a, it's it's a funny little it's funny to when you first see it, the first time you see it because it's it's very usually kind of jerry rigged. I don't know if anyone's yeah. ever built a a there are some, four well, market. Yeah, I mean, do they actually you, make ones? Oh, yeah, yeah, they do. And and even the, you know, film cameras have custom blimps because the sound of the film running through them was was distracting in certain scenes when they were trying to capture live sound i've just never seen every every house every blimp that i've ever seen um yeah uh, still cameras, together all look like they are um they, they, they were kind of cobbled together out of a pelican case yeah, with, in, a, in, a, in, a, in some kind of handsaw <laughs> yeah. yep. all right guys let's uh let's give another nod to another one of our sponsors alex before we move on uh, this are, we are also, of course, sponsored by Squarespace.com. And Squarespace, of course, is the easiest way to build a website. Uh, if you are thinking, if you're a photographer out there and you, or, or you're a hobbyist or anything else, you've been, you've been stopped by creating a website. Uh, you know, you, you don't know how, how the CSS or HTML works and you uh, are just trying to put something up. You want to have galleries. You possibly want to have some permission. You want to see who's coming to your site. You might want to have forums or forms that people can fill out that you can get. All of these things are all built into Squarespace. And the best part of it is, is it's just it's a it's WYSIWYG. You just kind of drag things around, move things. You, there's hundreds of templates to start with. And then you can basically put all this stuff in. Now, you can import or export out to WordPress, Blogger, Movable Type, and TypePad. Um, and uh, and you can get your data out of it uh, in, into those other uh, formats if, if you decide you don't like it. Um, the, uh, but, of course, you have website tracking and permission handling. You have, you know, the great thing about this is that you don't have to figure out how to install it on a server. So you don't have to figure out, you know, anything about uploading, downloading, moving things around. It's all, it's all on their side. Um, they they handle all of that for you. So when you're paying a subscription for it, you're not paying for any other subscription past, you know, being able to build all build your website, uh, put your galleries in, do whatever you want to do there. Um, you can even update your blog or your, your entire website from your from an iPhone app and an iPad app, which I use a lot. So uh, so anyway, it's it's a great um, application. This is what we actually if you go to pixelcore.com, dvgarage.com, bordersack.com, which is my blog. Um, all of those are Squarespace sites. So, um, you know, we use it a lot. And so it's definitely worth checking out. Now, you don't need, you don't need to believe me. You can go to 14-day free trial. Uh, it's a 14-day trial. Uh, it's month to month after that, so you don't need to make a commitment. Um, you get 10% off if you get a one-year commitment, 20% off two-year commitment. Um, but you don't have to give, give them your card or anything else. You can just get a 14-day trial uh, if you go to squarespace.com slash twip. That's squarespace.com slash twip. Uh, and, um, and if you use TWIP7, so this is the, you get TWIP7, you get 10% off your first three months. So, um, again, that's TWIP7 and go to squarespace.com slash TWIP. 
Awesome. Thanks a lot, Alex. Mm-hmm. All right, it's time to answer some listener questions. And listeners, if you want to get your questions into the show, just post them on our Facebook fan page at thisweekinphoto.com slash Facebook. That'll redirect you over to the Facebook page. Or you can just tweet us at This Week in Photo. And I'm, I'm working on a super coolier way for them to put pushing questions. Did Ooh, I send awesome. you that? Awesome. No, you didn't send me that yet. <laughs> but we're also on Google Plus, too. So just yes. find This Week in Photo on Google Plus, and you can uh, reach out to us that way. So we are plugged in. Question number one is from Tuki Button from East Kilbride, United Kingdom. And Tuki says, when taking landscape photographs without filters, how do you best balance the exposure? When taking landscape photographs without filters, how do you best balance the exposure? Steve Simon, I want to give this one to you because you are you are probably doing that right now. So yes, you- well now I'm in landscape mode because I'm in the country. I'm here in Killington, Vermont. It's a beautiful place, a ski place, I guess, but uh, it's nice and quiet here. And like I, I mentioned, there's all kinds of noises, sounds like birds and stuff, and uh, it's it's really calming and relaxing. And I've been doing a little bit of landscape photography, and I maintain these days that if you're going to do any kind of landscape photography, you want to bracket three stops. Uh, even if you don't want to do HDR, you'll have the raw materials in the future to, to merge them and do HDR. I mean, we know that we can even you know do an, an HDR uh, process uh, if you shoot a raw image, you can take you know the highlight detail and the the shadow detail from one image. But having the the raw materials, having a three frame bracket um, for our listener uh, Tuki Bunton, um, is not only going to give you the raw materials for merging them at a later date because that will give you the best kind of exposure in a landscape shot, but it'll also likely give you one of the three is going to kind of give you the the best of 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 all worlds. Uh, if it's a particularly contrasty situation, you might want to bracket a little bit more. But um, that's that's how I would do it. Uh, and I recommend anyone that's going to be shooting on a tripod might as well bracket three frames. But make sure you you know keep the aperture consistent and bracket uh, using the shutter speed so you can be an aperture priority. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's, that's interesting too. You know, having having just run around uh, places with very high dynamic range shots. Um, that's pretty much what I do. I, I actually, it's two things I'll do. Number one, I'll, I'll tend to expose so that the highlights are just barely blown out, you know, ideally, knowing that there's a little bit of raw headroom above that that I can pull down. And then I just use one of my custom functions uh, on my camera, and most of the, at least higher-end cameras, have a custom setting where you just turn the dial and it's set up to do automatically bracketed at, you know, high speed and, and change the change the shutter speed, leave the aperture the same. So it's real fast. If I just see a scene, I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to get out of this, but I really think it's a great shot that's worth you know burning off three frames instead of one. I'll just turn the dial over to that auto-bracketed custom setting I have and shoot them off that way. Yeah. So do you do you guys, both Steve and Ron, do you, uh, I'm sure depending on what's in the scene, like if it's a landscape scene and the wind's blowing, the trees are moving around, you're not going to you know, go below a certain shutter speed. How do you, how do you manage that? Or you, you tweak the ISO or how do you mean make sure that you get the, 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 uh, scene frozen? Yeah. I mean, usually though, the, uh, the problems with these really massive dynamic range problems are daylight scenes. Mm-hmm. So generally you're not going to be in a situation where there's not enough light because it's almost always the sky is so bright and blown out, but then your you know, your, your mountain in front of you is backlit or something and you can't get that. So usually I don't end up just, you know, as the nature of this, this scene means that I'm not really 
playing with the ISO. Yeah, but. for me, it's a, it's a question of strategy. So, for example, if, uh, if I'm seeing, you know, the grass blowing in the wind and I think that maybe a slow shutter speed will give me that ethereal quality of, uh, you know, this, the blurred grass with the stationary uh, mountains in the background, I'll strategize and I'll try stuff like that. Um, you know, when I'm on a tripod, uh, best practice, um, I have some options so I can experiment and, you know, see what, see what you can do. I think, though, generally speaking, and I, I talk about this a lot, you know, when I'm doing these workshops, shutter speed's often the deal breaker. If your shutter speed is too slow and you have camera shake or your, your subject's moving, if the, the, whatever blur that's caused isn't helping the image by sort of creating that atmosphere of blur or motion, then it's likely hurting it. So, I like to make sure that my shutter speed is kind of minimally two fiftieth of a second as a general rule uh, to freeze both subject and camera movement. And I'm, I'm less afraid these days to up my ISO if I need to, just because it's it's so good. Yeah, yeah, and great that you have that control now. Absolutely, it's it's incredible. And auto ISO, by the way, is just a powerful way to to not so much do landscapes, but to do general photography where you dip in and out of bright and dark areas to maintain your minimum shutter speed. So for the for, for folks that may not know what auto ISO is, it's basically when you pick a shutter speed and aperture and lock those down and let the camera hunt for an ISO to let you use that aperture and shutter speed, right? Yeah, well, it's actually, uh, I know in the Nikon system, maybe different for Canon, but it basically allows you to lock a minimum shutter speed in. So mm, you still okay. have full flexibility uh, in terms of choosing depth of field, aperture, etc. And likely you'll be wide open anyway as a starting point. But if, you're, if your shutter speed, if the lighting conditions are such where the shutter speed wants to go down below 250th or whatever it is that you set as your minimum, uh, the ISO will go up to maintain that minimum shutter speed. And you set the parameters. So you can say, you know, I only want you to go up to 3200 because you're not comfortable with the noise levels higher. So the camera will try and do that. So it's, it's great for street shooting. It's great for sort of general travel, et cetera. Um, it just allows you, to, and it's always going to want to give you the lowest ISO, just the way you would always want the lowest ISO. So it, yeah. it thinks like a photographer. Very cool. All right, let's move on to question number two. This also comes from Twitter. It's from Bergman Pictures or Gustav Bergman. Um, from Lund to Sweden. He says he wants to buy a 135F2 for his Nikon D700. He wants to know what we think. Um, should we? Should he wait to get the the next generation of this lens, or should he just buy this one now? Um, Alex, I want to throw this to you because you, you, you buy a lot of gear. Should he wait, or should he just go for it? It depends on whether he has something specific he needs it for. So if it's something that you're going to be using a lot, um, uh, you know, typically what I would say is that the fall is usually a good time. Once you get into the middle of the summer, um, I would think hard about buying camera gear. Uh, and there's a lot of probably camera manufacturers listening to this going, ah, don't say that. But but the reality is we got Photokina coming up. We got, is it Photokina this year? Yeah, it's, um, it was that last year. Because it, it skips every year. And then, yeah. but a lot, the pattern because of Photokina and the pattern because I think they move PMA now to the fall. Um, it's no longer, is it, didn't they move PMA out? Um, but a lot of these conferences are in the in uh, there's a lot of conferences that are related to photography in the fall, which puts a lot of pressure on these guys to um, to you know put that you know do these things in the evening to put their their announcements out yeah. in the uh, in uh, in the fall and so uh, and typically we see a lot of those uh, happening in the fall so so it, you, you kind of want to think about uh, once you get too close once you get within two months of a really um, you know uh, solid one coming up. 
uh, I think that you want to you want to think about um, waiting and seeing what's happening. Yeah. You know, because I would, I would, I would piggyback on that are, definitely, Alex. I would say if I mean if there's something specific that that Gustav needs to shoot. Um, maybe rent a lens, yeah. you know, just go rent it and then wait and see what comes out. And if something comes out that you want to buy, then go buy it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, in, in, in general, I mean, I really have to look at whether I'm, whether I should be renting something, you know, I have to, I have to think about it a little bit because I think a lot of times people uh, buy things too quickly. Yeah. So you see something that's expensive and you, and, and unless you really feel like you're using it often, uh, often enough to make it worth it. Rental is very inexpensive. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so you just have to remember that that it's uh, uh, that that rental is not that expensive right now, and and that uh, um, and, and so you want to think about that. There's a lot of good rental companies. There's a lot now. If you're using it all the time, like we have a handful of lenses that we use all the time, and of course you want to own a handful of lenses that, yeah. that make that work. And if you're a professional photographer, then of course you're going to collect these because you want to have the camp. You don't want to have the risk of it showing up and not quite working, yep. and so on and so forth. Um, you definitely want to, if you're a professional and you're going to take it somewhere, definitely order it with enough time to take a look at it. Uh, the way I think of it is, I have to make sure I'm going to get it. And be able to look at it and be able to order another one if this one didn't turn out before whatever date is that I have to use it. Yeah. You know, and, and I almost never, ever have – I've never had that happen actually that I needed it. But it's always, you know. Yeah. So what, I, what I was going to do once is like uh, I did a workshop or I participated – Steve, you were there at this – the workshop that we did up in um, – in yeah. Yellowstone, yeah, for sure. Yeah, remember? And were you the one, or maybe it was Scott Bourne? Somebody rented a lens and had it shipped to oh, the park. Yeah. yeah, so you rented it and had it shipped to the park, so you didn't have to carry it and be responsible for it. And then when you're done, you drop it off at the front desk and they ship it back for you, right? Something like that. Yeah, it was a 200 to 400 uh, Nikkor Zoom, beautiful lens. Uh, yeah, not not an inexpensive purchase and uh you know again i wasn't using i would like to own that lens i'll i like i would like to get it someday but you know it, it's like having having those lenses they're going to sort of last a long time and i i happen to know the 135 f2 that gustav is talking about it's one of the two defocus lenses that nikon makes and that they're portrait lenses so they actually give you a little extra uh, uh, bouquet uh, mm. because of the way it works and uh, yeah there's talk that they might um, upgrade the lens uh, but nobody knows for sure and that's a very specific uh, lens if you can find a used one that would be great um, but you know as Alex mentions uh, you know the fall is a time when we're going to start to see some new introductions and you know it's really hard to say we're going to see that lens and if he really wants to use it if he's not going to use it all the time then maybe rental is a good idea but yeah. If he's thinking of, uh, you know, does a lot of portraiture and knows the lens, which it sounds like he does because he, he wants it, it's very specific, it's a little expensive, um, then it, you know, waiting isn't always, uh, you know, you, you can wait forever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. don't, I mean, don't yeah. wait and miss the shot, right? Exactly. A lot of times when we're purchasing something, it's just that I, I can't find a rental for it that's within reason and I have a project that's imminent. Um, but if you do think you're going to use it all the time, uh, the chances of it being up- upgraded are probably low, a low percentage. A general topic, though, is that generally once I hit um, July, I won't buy anything until October. Nice. Yeah. Just because that seems to be the pattern of, um, of the industry. Yeah. And the new thing. ones tend to be more expensive. I mean, the fact is, you know, that lens is not a cheap lens, but I suspect uh, if and when it is upgraded, 
um, it's going to be a few hundred dollars more. That seems to be the way things have been going with some of the super fast Nikkor glass, like the eighty-five one four and the thirty-five one four. So you know, it's 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 you're not going to be stung. You're going to have that lens. It's still going to have quite a lot of value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the end, it's it's a lens, right? So you're going to keep it. Bodies will come and go, and the lens will stay the same, right? So you'll you'll keep it for a lot. Steve, like your your longest running lens. How long how long have you had it? Oh gosh, uh, that's a that's a good question. But I'm I'm probably the wrong guy because I like to kind of have the latest greatest. Oh stuff. yeah, and you're yeah you you play with new yeah. stuff all the time. I I do I do. But but the fact is, I mean I've 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 got a couple of D lenses, and now we're into the G series. Uh, you know the nano crystal coat that Nikon uses on their lenses now is is quite extraordinary in terms of uh, how they control flare. Although you know some photographers like that backlit flare thing and if they have a lens that they're enjoying they really like the way they the images that they're getting from it they're going to hang on to it at all costs they won't sell that lens because uh, they know it well and it gives them what they want but uh, you can use a 60 you can use a 19 you know a 50 year old lens on a nikon camera wow yeah yeah that's true all right, guys, let's uh, take one more question. This is from Jens or Jens Markland. Um, Jens wants to know what the best way is to get noticed in the photo industry. She shoots travel portrait and landscape photography and is getting a new website built. And she wants to know how should she go about getting the site noticed? Um, Ron Brinkman, what do you, what do you think? What, what, should, what should Jens do to get the word out or get the eyeballs to her site? I think she has already started doing exactly what she should be doing which is uh, you know contacting podcasts and getting them to mention uh, Jens Markland on their uh, podcast so that people know who Jens Markland is and then they know to go search for Jens Markland. Nice. It would have been better if she had given us a website. <laughs> had she actually you know, given a URL, yeah. she would have done it exactly. Well, it's getting built now apparently. So while you guys are talking, I'm going to actually Google Jens Marklin and see. But you know that's right. It. I mean that 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 is kind of it. You know, it's uh, this is something that is you know across all businesses, but is certainly pertinent to photographers. And that everybody thinks that to become a known and great and respected photographer, you've got to go out and take great pictures. Sure, but you know, in in all of these sort of disciplines, especially the artistic disciplines, so much of it is about how well can you market yourself. You yeah, know, how well can you uh, get out we, there and do it, and and it's you know social. I mean, the social networking kind of stuff is an amazing resource that wasn't available twenty years ago, right? Yeah, and we have we have the perfect video for people to watch around marketing your photography. What's up? Uh, we we shot it at down at the uh, at the at the smug mug. Oh right, yeah, so, yeah. So there, so San, it, Sandy Sandy Pooch, yeah, she yes. uh, she. Oh my gosh, yeah. It's amazing, and it's on it's on the This Week in Photo site right now, and she did a two-hour-long presentation on how to market yourself. I'm surprised I didn't notice that. Thanks, Alex. I, I, was, I, I have to admit, when I just think of marketing now, I mean, she. I was so inspired by her talk, I was almost like, you know, this whole pixel, pixel core thing, I'm just going to give this up and go into <laughs> photography. You know, like, you know, just, I, I, I could rule this place, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so it, it's, you know, the, the, the one thing that you have to remember as a photographer, if you're doing national stuff, that's one thing, but if you're doing... Uh, and, and travel is, is, is a piece of that. But if you're doing portraits, if you're doing things that are more local, there is an enormous amount of local marketing that's required. And it's not something that happens overnight. It's definitely something that takes work. And um, But uh, Sandy's presentation uh, is uh, remarkable. You, you just have to see the video. If you haven't seen it, um, it's on the thisweekinphoto.com uh, site. And uh, it's two hours long. 
and, and it's just a must. It's a must view. She's it was just it was a very, very inspiring talk about she, she does primarily family, you know, family photography portraits and she's got it down pat. Yeah, I mean, you know, she's got you know, it down to a science um, with art in there. So she's one of those photographers that not only knows her way around an F-stop, but knows her way around getting people to look at her website and separating them from their money, you know, making and, them into customers. So it's, well, and, and, and really understanding where her, where, what service she provides and how to provide that great service, you know, and she just, because it's all based around service and it's all based around, you know, um, you know, we, you know, the Pixel Core does, we, you know, we do a lot of video production, for instance. We don't have a website that talks about video production. <laughs> we don't have business cards or, or we don't, and we also don't have any brochures. We do it because we, you know, keep on doing a lot of work for people and, and it's a word of mouth kind of thing. Now, there's lots of great ways that to market yourself, but one of the best ways that you're going to get out there and get work is to make sure that you're doing it and you're part of that community, especially in whatever that community is, uh, contributing at to that community is going to be a big part of um, marketing. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. So guess, I, will, I will say that I, I went to, and instantly it looks like it is Jens Markland, and it's a guy, uh, and I went to his uh, Flickr site that you just found there, Frederick, and yeah. uh, he's got pictures of monkeys on it. So there you go. Wait a minute. <laughs> no, this is this is Jens, though, and it's a girl. Yes, Jens. Yes, Jens. How yeah. do you know? No, he says there's a picture of... At any rate, there's pictures of monkeys on it. <laughs> you, you need to let go of the monkeys, man. Come on. <laughs> let go. Just let go. All right. Let's get, the, let's get the picks of the weekend. This is where this is a time on the show where each guest can give a pick, and this can be software, hardware, gear, workshop, whatever, as long as it's related to taking pictures. First up is Ron Brinkman, since you were chatting. What's, uh, what's your pick? Oh, mine's just a quick, uh, fun website. It's uh, dearphotograph.com. And it's a collection of a certain kind of photo, sort of a photo of a photo where you sort of line up an old photo with uh, the same scene in present day. Um, it's a fun place to just spend a little while poking around. There's actually a few little poignant moments that you will come across in there as people kind of look at a photo of, you know, from their childhood compared to the current scene from today. So just just a fun place to go check out, dearphotograph.com. Very cool. All right. And uh, Mr. Alex Lindsay, what's your pick? So I, I I have been taking it easy on everybody and, and recommending things that are um, less expensive. <laughs> you mean that humans with normal incomes can afford? <laughs> so I have to admit that today this week is not one of those those shows. So this is my 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 new toy that I bought um, recently and I love, and it's all Brent buys fault. Brent um, is doing all the lighting for for Leo and we ha- we did this. Uh, we're gonna have this up on YouTube in the next uh, couple days. Um, we had like a two hour talk about color, lighting color and, and color space and dealing with all of this stuff. And I'm afraid that he, you know, he showed me this, this object and then I, I tried to resist for a couple days, like a week. All right. And what's the object? Like, Come on. You're killing me. It's called a Sekonic, uh C500R. And so this is a, it's a color meter. This is not just a light meter that this is not really, it doesn't, you don't put it up and it tell, you know, and it tells you what the ASA or the F-stop is. This is to measure color. Um, now you can measure foot candles and lux, you know, with it. Um, but what you can also do is go out and, and, uh, a lot of times what happens is, is that, you know, I tend to be very mathematical about a lot of this stuff. And so, you know, I, I want to look through scopes and I want to figure stuff out, you know, while we're on set, 
but a lot of times you're scouting and you're you're in a location and you got to figure out okay what what kind of lights am I going to bring in here and what is going to match and what isn't and, and how bright is it here? I was just doing this in the Moscone Center um, a couple of days ago, and I need to figure this all out because I'm bringing lights in. I got to make sure that they're going to be bright enough that they're going to be the right color, and I don't get to make a mistake. I don't get to figure it out while I'm there. I have to figure it out right now, a month and a half before it's actually going to happen. So what this does is, is, is it's a, as I said, it looks like a light meter, but it measures color. So you can pop it out there and it'll say it's, you know, your color is 3400 or 3440 or 32, whatever. But it'll also tell you that you're, you know, you're, you've got one, you know, uh, one unit of, of magenta or two units of blue or, you know, it'll tell you where things are going. And you can actually cover those lights to get rid of that, to pull it back towards uh, a certain temperature. So where, where the hues are going, it's, it's very precise. Um, and uh, it gives you a lot of control when you're trying to figure stuff out way in advance, when you're trying to figure it out with a team, where, where you have to be actually precise about, you know, what you're doing with color. So, again, this is not something that the average photographer wants to run out and grab, but, you know, it's just worth knowing that it's there. For some of you that are listening, you know, uh, this is worth knowing that if you're trying to figure this stuff out and you want to just go out and know, know what you're dealing with, especially if it's a complex scene, indoor, out, indoor lighting mixed with outdoor lighting mixed with some other kind of lighting uh it's it's a really great little device so it's a Sekonic uh, c500r and i'm i apologize it's you know 12 or 1300 dollars. it's not it's as much as a camera so uh wow. but but it is um if you're in a in a high stress situation where you gotta really know what you're doing uh i would highly suggest at least taking a look that's yeah. it and a light meter is one of those things that you're going to keep forever like i still have a Sekonic that i've had for I don't know, 10 years or something and lights light. Right. And very few moving parts. So it's not going to break unless you throw it around like an idiot. Right. And, and, and this is a big move for me because I've often talked about, we, we actually talk about the fact that when you're in green screen and you see someone out there with a light meter, we actually instruct our guys to take it away from them, throw it on the ground, stomp on it. Um, because lighting a green screen with a light meter is a bad idea. Really bad idea. Um, you know, there are scopes for that and you know, that's what you should be using. Don't touch it. Don't touch a green screen with this. But yeah. if you are, uh, so I've, so I've been kind of a, oh, I don't need that. Blah, blah, blah. I got scopes and, and, uh, and I saw the light literally. Nice. All right, Alex. Thanks a lot. All right. Next up is Mr. Steve Simon. What's your pick of the week? I don't promote myself all that much, do I, on the show? <laughs> Occasionally, but it's okay because people want to know. No, I've got a new book coming out at the end of the month. I'm pretty excited about it called The Passionate Photographer. And it's already uh, available for pre-order on uh, Amazon. And uh, so I'm just wanting to, our listenership to know. I'm, I'm hoping to get it to number one. It's right now, it's number 27,312. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm hoping that people are going to, see it like it or hate it whatever but no i think there's a lot of good stuff in it so and maybe uh we can give a few books away uh in the coming weeks on on twip as a oh, awesome that's, that's good awesome. yeah we can do a contest or something very cool awesome awesome very cool so how long did it take you to to get that book out of your brain steve oh about 20 minutes <laughs> oh, great <laughs> it's, uh, great no, so it's a brochure then okay i've been working on it all my life it's uh <laughs> You know, I look about 36, so yeah, I'll say about 36 years of shooting. Wow. Uh, no, it's, 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 I've distilled everything I, I've learned and know into this sort of 10 step uh, process. So yeah, I'd like to hear, you know, what people think about it. So if you go to Amazon, you can click on the like button. So far, my mom, myself, my wife, and a friend that I coerced have clicked on it. So I've got four likes. That's pretty good. Hey, I'm clicking on it. Now. Uh, you got six. <laughs> I'm clicking on it right now. I just I'm on did my it. way. I'm on my way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
they can, you need to make their like button bigger. I had to like scan to find. Yeah, it. yeah they had likes on uh, on it. I know, I know. Hey, you know, all you listeners, once you once you go like all of Steve's books, you can go like my book on Amazon. <laughs> there you go. Yes, yes. I'm the like proud owner of Ron Brinkman's book. Thank you. Very so much. am I. Digital composting. <laughs> all right. You know, um, in, in the Pixel Cord, Ron's book is called "The Good Book of Brinkman." Oh, nice. Yes, Ooh. it's it's a it's it's. I feel it's like if I ever level. show up at the Pixel Core, I should like wear a robe or something. <laughs> yes, and not well, a bathrobe. Right, because it's the Good Book of Right and the Good Book of Brinkman are, yep. are key tomes that all Pixel members are recommended to read. So awesome. All right, quickly, my pick of the week is called Easy Video Player um, Version Two, and basically what this is is. A if you have your own web server and you know how to FTP, you can install this thing through drag and drop, and it basically gives you your own personal YouTube. So that if you're like a marketer or you're someone who doesn't want to be bound by YouTube's 15 or 10 or 15 minute re- time limit restriction, you want your videos to be viewable on all devices, and you just overall you're a control freak, control freak, and you want everything to be under your control. You can install this thing on your server, and now you have your own personal YouTube where you can deploy videos to wherever you want them to go. Now the cool thing is it it is a front end to Amazon's S3 service. So the videos themselves which is a paid service. So the videos themselves are being served off of Amazon's monstrous server farm wherever that lives. So you never have to worry about okay, my server is taking a hit because I have an overly popular video and no one's going to see it. They're going to come up really, really fast. And then this thing is a front end that allows you to control the parameters of the video, like what does the player look like? Um, do ads pop up in there? And if they do, they're your ads. Where does, it, where does the video, where does the, the, the watcher go after the video is completed? You, know, can, you can specify a URL, all kinds of crazy stuff like that. It's actually really, really cool. It's got intelligent detection in there. So if someone's watching on on a device that doesn't support flash, it'll intelligently degrade itself or upgrade itself, depending on your opinion, to HTML5 and deliver that instead of flash. So it's pretty cool. If you're deep into this video stuff and you want a place and you want control over how your videos are displayed, I would definitely give it a look. It's at uh, easyvideoplayer.com. Now, the one negative that I noticed is that that URL takes you to one of... It's like a... Um, you know, it's a sales page for the thing, which is it, the video that they put up there is informative and it takes you through what it can do, but it just sort of like, oh, great, you know, they're, they're going to try to sell me something. But I tried it and it actually works really well. I've got it installed and, you know, so it's not just a random pick. And that's my pick of the week. All right, guys, we are at the end of another This Week in Photo and you know the drill. Ron Brinkman, where are you at online? My blog is digitalcomposting.com if you want to hear my latest rant on uh, Final Cut Pro X. Um, my oh, Twitter I got to is... read that. I got to read that because I purchased that at the recommendation of Alex Lindsay. Now I'm, I'm finding myself in need of some tutorials to learn how to use the damn yeah, thing. It's more like it, you know, I'm surprised at how many people thinking that Apple was going to behave in a way that I, I wouldn't have expected Apple to behave. But anyway, <laughs> it was... It yeah. was the blog. Like, how, as, as, how dare this alligator bite me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I've, I think I've had something like 30,000 hits on the blog since I wrote that little blog oh, post. Oh, sweet. So. Well, you have 30,000 in one today. I'll there read. you go. That's good. But uh, best place to find me beyond that is just uh, on the Twitters uh, at Ron Brinkman, R O N B R I N K M A N N. And um, no, I am on I am on Google Plus now. All right. And, I know uh, I added you. 
And because Google makes it so easy to tell people where to find you there, just go to plus.google.com slash 10811137153882273035. Oh, it's awesome. Well, you know what? I was I took it a level further, Ron. If you want to find me on Google Plus, you just go to fvj.me slash plus. Ah, <laughs> Look at that. You gotta you gotta work your way around the Google. See? I kind of like the long <laughs> string of digits. <laughs> All right, Ron or uh, uh, Steve Simon, where are you at online? Uh, well, I've just set up a Facebook fan page. I'm late to the game, but I want to support the book, so it's called <laughs> Steve, the Passionate. Seems like the party has moved to the after know, party. Steve shows up at the party with his tux on, like, "Hey, where's everybody at?" <laughs> Facebook, man, that's old news. But it's here. That's where all the old folks go. Steve, come on. <laughs> What do you got a MySpace thing too? <laughs> no, it's it's I'm it's on Friendster. <laughs> Facebook dot com slash early bird special. Steve, we're we're all photographer. Sorry, say that again. <laughs> no, it's Facebook.com the passionate photographer. I've got like yeah, I'm just I'm just getting into this stuff, so I figure, you know, what the heck. I'll put it out there and we'll see. Well, you know, uh, we've, we've all moved to Google Plus. <laughs> I, know, we're, yeah, we're, we're I know. Done with I know. You know we're, I we're, we're, we're so Facebook is so last week. <laughs> all right. Well, in a couple of years, I'll be there. <laughs> I love it. I Where remember, Steve. I remember before you even uh, you were you were reluctant to get on Twitter, and now you got like thousands and thousands of followers now. I was I was definitely reluctant on on Twitter, but uh, I kind of love it now. So uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway. That's that's where you'll find me these days. Awesome. All right, Alex Lindsay, where are you at online? Uh, you can find me at uh, bordersack.com uh, and also on the Twitters, uh, Alex Lindsay. Uh, we're doing live streams almost every week uh, on Thursdays. Um, we, um, and so uh, Thursdays at 6 o'clock uh, at pixelcore.com slash live. In a couple of weeks, we'll be doing another This Week in Photography, uh, this week photo. Uh, yeah, and um, uh, we had to edit a couple things out of the last one, which is why it's delayed, but it'll be up soon. And, um, and so, uh, but that, the last one will be up. Uh, we're going to be doing another one. And by the way, Frederick, if you need training, you know, we, we're going to have a, uh, we're actually going to have a training, uh, with, um, the two, two of the top trainers in the world for Final Cut. Uh, oh, sweet. So, uh, you should, you should come up. I uh, will definitely uh, come up for that because I am in need of training right now on Final Cut Pro 10. Yeah, and, and it's, it's, I need to know. I need to be trained on what the name of the program is. Is it Final Cut Pro 10 or Final Cut Pro X? I don't know. I think it's 10. <laughs> Apple g- generally is uh, is 10. So um, so anyway, so it, um, people can find out on the show notes. Uh, we'll have the the link to it. But it's in August, and uh, they're coming up now. You can also go to RippleTraining.com, and uh, there's some video tra- training for Final Cut as well. For and what's great about I, the only thing I'll say about Final Cut X is it's really really great for photographers because you can just kind of plug stuff in and, and start. It, it handles cameras much better. I, I noticed this lately where I was having trouble getting some of my stuff in from one of my cameras. Uh, in Final Cut 7, and then I opened it up in Final Cut X, and it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you got that. <laughs> and oh, I was like, okay, well, at least they focused on one thing that I needed. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, so I was very excited about that. So, uh, but we're, we're, we're doing a training. If people are interested, uh, I, will be pro- I will be Twittering out a, uh, uh, another, uh, well, there's some discounts around. So follow me on Twitter, and I'll be posting it again. Uh, and that's uh, at Alex Lindsay uh, on Twitter. Very cool. All right, and if you'd like to keep up with everything in the This Week in Photo universe, you can head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to our Facebook fan page, our Twitter page, our Google Plus page, and more. 
And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Frederick Van or at frederickvan.com or at fvj.me slash plus for my Google Plus. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn. With technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. 